from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Green Entrepreneur podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor and chief of Green Entrepreneur. And you know, May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And I really wanted to feature some Asian American and Pacific Islanders making a big difference in the cannabis industry. And I really hit the jackpot today. Not only are my guests Asian American, but they're also women. So it's two very underrepresented groups in the industry. I am joined today by Eunice Kim, who is the founder and CEO of HiVi, which is a digital cannabis product that matches people to the right cannabis products. I am also joined by Judy Yi, who's co-founder and CEO of KZen, a cannabis beverage company. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. So first of all, let's give a little brief background here. What are, we'll start with you, Eunice, what is HiVi? And you do more than just HiVi. So I'd like to find out what all the things that you're working on. But what are these things that you are working on and what is the why that you are solving in the industry? Yeah, I started HiVi, which is short for High Vibrations, right before the pandemic in 2020. And it's a cannabis education and delivery service that helps conscious consumers discover and shop cannabis on one easy platform. Our cannabis concierge is a fully data-backed, personalized recommendations engine that matches individuals to the right cannabis formulations instantly. And the why behind it is cannabis is intimidating. Cannabis is hard, especially for new users, especially for wellness seekers, as they're trying to find an alternative to prescription medications. The education and the learning curve to figure out the cannabinoids, terpenes, dosing, form factors can be a daunting journey. And we want, I personally, because cannabis changed the course of my life a few years ago, I want people to really embrace this plant and I want people to, to enjoy it for what they're looking out of for out of it. And, you know, HiVi is that, that one-stop shop for folks. We're excited to launch a delivery in California and um, see where it takes us, but I have already seen such great traction and we're so, so thankful for our community. Aside from HiVi, you know, as, as an Asian American woman in this space, as a second generation Korean American who had to hide the fact that I was a cannabis founder from my parents for the good first year of HiVi's journey, shedding light on the Asian American community in this industry and making education more accessible to the Asian American community who is so still highly stigmatized against cannabis um, is a passion project of mine. And so we have an API project out in the market right now uh, called Modern Cannabis, which I spearheaded with uh, C. Simone Fafone of Kung Fu to make all of that much easier for specifically our Asian American community. And we can talk more about that later. Yeah, I want to hear all about that. You know, excited, excited about that. <laughs> Judy, talk about KZN, what it does, what it is, and and why, why you created the brand. Yeah, so KZN is a uh, cannabis-infused beverage company. We have a portfolio of brands, and KZN is really aimed at um, bringing in both current users and curious users into the cannabis uh, market by providing products that, that is useful and accessible to them, right? So we all know that uh, the cannabis consumers di- are very diverse in like their knowledge or experience around cannabis. 
And so having a portfolio of products that is catered towards his or her need, whether it's for pain management, whether it's for sleep or just a better, you know, alternative to alcohol for socializing, you know, we've got a product and a brand that will address that need. So for example, we've got Mad Lily Spritzers and Sleep Tonic. So that is much more of a wellness, better for you brand that has very clean ingredients, quality formulation, and taste as if something that you can find at Whole Foods. And so we've got low dose product with minor cannabinoids like CBN for our sleep tonic that is catered to that audience. On the other side, we've got our 100 milligram drink mixer called S-Shots. You know, so this is more for folks that really know um, how cannabis fit in their lives, what dosage, what use it applies to. So it's a great do-it-yourself kind of drink. You could drink it straight, drink it with you know your favorite cocktail, mocktail recipe. And all of that is given to consumers in a very convenient, affordable price point as well. So the why behind that, Jonathan, is, is kind of what Eunice is saying. You know, I came into the space back in 2019, and I would say I was a rather new cannabis consumer really seeking a better alternative to to pharmaceuticals for sleep or just alcohol and other things for relaxation and socializing. And I knew that if someone like myself, who is a first-generation Chinese-American immigrant with a very traditional background, my father was ex-military, you know, war on drugs was like one of his like, yes, I love, I totally subscribe to that. Coming from that background and stepping into the space, I knew that there's got to be millions of other like myself that would be open to adopt cannabis if it was provided in a way that was accessible and also educated and informed as what Eunice was mentioning to help them really understand the plant. I mean, you think about the Chinese and Asian American culture, herbal medicine is the beginning of what we always have done for, for hundreds of years in terms of remedy and even, you know, enjoyment, right? So cannabis is another plant that haven't really been understood, you know? So, so I feel like for the Asian American audience, it really is a a very kind of like next generation of plant medicine that is already part of their lives. They just don't understand it yet. And so I'm excited to, you know, not only provide products that can help people ease into it, but also be part of what Eunice mentioned is the education and representation in the space as an Asian American woman providing um, products that is um, accessible. And so that is my why. And that's, and I've been doing this since 2019, uh, launched in the middle of the pandemic and, and very excited to, to kind of see that this next chapter for our industry. Yeah. It's interesting that you mention all the stigma around cannabis in the Asian American, just in the Asian culture. And yet cannabis originated in Central Asia thousands of years ago. That's where cannabis comes from. So I want to get into like how, where, where that stigma comes from. But before we do that, a little bit more about your personal journeys. Eunice, you mentioned that you had a personal experience that kind of brought you to cannabis. Can you share that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, HiFi started because of my personal journey as a consumer. And I was 30 years old, right? So for someone who was born and raised in LA, I'd say I was a late bloomer when it comes to cannabis consumption. I grew up in a pretty conservative, rule-abiding household. So something illegal, obviously, is automatically strictly forbidden. Grew up with the D.A.R.E. program in school. So the education, the limited education and knowledge I had on cannabis was that it was bad, that I would become that lazy stoner, which would totally kill the model minority stereotype (laughs) that I was supposed to be living up to, right? So didn't go anywhere near it. I was working in 
fashion. I was living that hustle in New York, loved it, loved the grind, thought that that was what defined success. And I was also running uh, my own uh, women's sneaker brand called Here Now. And I was basically doing two things at once, juggling both of that, loved it, of course, and felt so empowered by being able to do so much. But I think I fell into the trap that a lot of us entrepreneurs, professionals, you know, folks do nowadays where we don't prioritize our well-being or mental health. So I was, I developed severe anxiety, wasn't sleeping, thought that that was the New York life. But I mean, in the end of the day, it's not healthy and not sustainable. And I needed to, needed to figure out a way to feel better. Growing up in an Asian household, like Judy said, we love the herbs and we try to find herbal remedies before all else. And so I didn't want to lean on the Kalanapins and Ambians of the world if I didn't have to and started to do my own research online. And that's when I discovered that weed was also cannabis, was also THC, CBD, and different formulations that can actually help manage and put our body back in balance. It was a lot of education that I needed to do on my own. I certainly didn't have a community to lean on. I wasn't telling my friends or family about it. And it was lonely. And there were also a lot of bad highs. My educator was a dealer on a bicycle from Brooklyn. <laughs> oh my goodness. Isn't, didn't there an HBO series about that? <laughs> love, yeah, I and it wasn't a great experience for something that was helping me feel better. And that was a huge disconnect for me. I was like, why am I feeling better from a plant that is illegal, that I have no education about, that has been demonized for most of my life? I wanted to change that. And I wanted to change that for the thousands and millions of peers who are just like me, working hard, professional, and deserve something to help them with their relaxation that doesn't give them a hangover, deserve something to help them with their pain, anxiety, sleep without that slippery slope of side effects and addiction. So that was my kind of start into entering the cannabis space, that conviction and sense of purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you guys think the stigma in the Asian community comes from? You know, I think of in America, we kind of trace it back to like reefer madness and and this kind of um, prohibition mindset that was based on a very racist mindset. But this whole, this mindset also can be traced back to Asia, you know, to, I mean, you both, you know, units, you're from Korean background, Judy, you're from a Chinese background. Do you guys have a sense of why? I mean, and then if you go to Asia, like it's so illegal, right? To like, I mean, my goodness, if you were ever to like pull out a, you know, you'd be thrown in jail. So do you guys have a sense of where this all comes from? Like the stigma against the, the plan? I can only kind of derive from my own experience. I, I think at least within my upbringing, anything that is against the law, <laughs> whether shoplifting or assault on someone or, you know, and, and in this case, weed kind of falls in that same realm, right? There, at least with my parents, there was no shades of gray. It's like anything that's like, you know, that's illegal, like it's all in the same bucket, right? So for me, that's probably where it came from in my upbringing and, 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 you know, from Taiwan all the way through here is that that very bright line on do not engage in any activities that is illegal. Now, I think with cannabis, there's another kind of layer to that. And that is kind of the perception of the person or lifestyle 
and how that person, what their values are, right? And, th- and that's that's less about legality, but that's more about, I think, stigma. I think Eunice mentioned the lazy stoner and the consequences of that lifestyle and that person in their future life, right? And so as a, as a child, especially as a first-generation American immigrant, I grew up with the story every day, you know, for my parents, Judy, we sacrificed so much and we left everything behind in Taiwan to move to America so you and your brother can have a new start. Make something of yourself. You got to be better than where we left off in Taiwan, right? That was kind of the story and the expectation. So you've got that over your mind as you're growing up. And then you've got, all right, cannabis is bad and it's illegal. And these are the the kind of consequences that happen. And on top of that, you know, you've got the legality part. So for me growing up, it was like a triple, you know, layer of absolutely not. It's something you shouldn't even think about. And so, you know, I, I would say for me, it's kind of that realm of legality plus the stigma of that persona and the consequences if you lead that lifestyle that I think led to at least my perception of of cannabis and why I stayed away for so long. To piggyback on that, I think it's, we have to look at the deeper culture in Asia and the emphasis we put on the concept of shame. It's something for another time, but I think Asian communities put a lot of emphasis on shame, shame on yourself, shame on your family, your community, your generation. And so we think about the repercussions of being caught or consuming something illegal and letting and having that be out in the public sense. It's not just shame on you and then being labeled as a stoner. It's like, oh, okay, now it's shame on your parents. It's shame on your grandparents. It's shame mm-hmm. on your family. And it's a huge burden to bear. And I think that that concept of shame, which is just culturally prevalent, rings really true when it comes to consuming something illegal, something that has that stigma. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it brings back a phrase that I've always grew up with um, in Chinese called dulian, right? It means loose face. And it can come in different forms, not just something that's illegal, but it could just be like something you do casually at an event. And so you're you're constantly aware that you're representing not only yourself, but you're representing your family, your community as a whole in your actions every day. And so I I do think that that is something that is culturally prevalent, not just in Chinese American, but I think what Yuna said, the entire Asian culture has that that kind of a root in their expectations. So given this background of this stigma around cannabis, certainly among your families and the general culture, how are you able to navigate it? Like, what did you tell your parents and your friends and your relatives when they ask what you do for a living? How do you navigate that? Yeah, I have this moment I want to share. I call it the coming out story to my, my mom and my dad. So it was six months after I left my corporate job, started Kazen. I, my parents lived in Seattle and so I live in California. So I knew that for me to come out, I have to be there in person. It wasn't something I can't handle over the phone. So finally I went to Seattle and I knew this was the right moment. And before that, I actually asked a good friend of mine who's also in the industry. His name is Harold Hahn. He's, um, you know, chief science officer of Vertosa. 
which is an, an, an emulsion tech company that we actually source our beverage ingredients from. And I was talking to him about it because he also has that similar challenge. Like he's like, yeah, I don't, my parents don't understand what I'm doing. And so he said, look, why don't I do this? Why don't I write your mom a really nice letter in Chinese and I'll send her some emulsion and I'm going to tell her who I am why I'm doing this and why I'm working with you and why she should feel confident in what you're doing. And so he did, he wrote this beautiful letter in Chinese, gave her his background, you know, his science, you know, his education, everything he does. And my mom got the package um, after I arrived and she opened it and she read it. And then she looked at me and she goes, so this is what you're doing. And I said, yeah. And she said, oh, okay. Well, so I didn't realize it was so scientific. I'm like, yes, it is definitely not something you just pull from the from the ground and like smash it up and put into a product. And so she's, and then, and surprisingly, she goes, you know what? I want to learn more. I've, I've heard about this from some people. I heard it's, it's bad for you, but I got to think there's something else. And also she said, look, if you're involved and I know you, it, it comes with a lot of thought and consideration and due diligence. And so that was our first conversation. And ever since then, she's learning and she actually now um, uses topicals instead of Tiger Bomb <laughs> or Salomplas for her pain. But I have to always, I have to thank Harold in, in, um, in doing that for me because I think it really allowed that opening of, of a conversation for her acceptance. It seems like education is a very key component of this. And, and Eunice, you very behind sort of educating people about the, about the plant. Can you talk a little bit about what you're, what you're doing on that front? Yeah. So, you know, tied to, tied to my coming out story was the fact that I couldn't intelligently speak about cannabis and the science behind it with my, with my parents. I speak colloquial Korean it's great in conversation, but when you're starting to talk about cannabinoids, the endocannabinoid system, it requires a more technical language and ability. And I think that's a huge barrier for a lot of, especially the Asian American community or the Asian community, because this education doesn't exist out there, right? We are barely, we barely have the research here in the States, right? And so one of the things that with this modern cannabis project that we just launched this month, one of the big kind of initiatives, the primary initiative for it was to make cannabis education more accessible. And to us, that make meant making sure that the language barrier was broken. So, you know, Hi-Vi, obviously very rooted in education. Our medical advisor, Dr. Jun Chin, also Chinese American, has been in this space as an integrative physician for over 20 years. We have a lot of educational content and literature already out there in English. And what we did was we abridged the basics, the need to know about the history, the war on drugs, how the stigma evolved to today where we're, we have much more research about the benefits, the health benefits of the plant, as well as how to be a conscious consumer. We abridged that content and we translated it into 12 Asian languages. That was an interesting, very eye-opening exercise, actually, because the content doesn't, and the words, yeah. the vocabulary doesn't exist in some of these communities. And so translators would come back and say, oh, you know what? We're going to have to keep this word cannabidiol in, in English because we don't have it in our language. And it just goes to show how very early it still is. 
but someone's got to take that first step, right? So we translate it into 12 different languages. We have now a digital book where you can access all of that content as well as a printed book. Thousands of copies actually currently in print and we'll be kind of distributing it out to our different communities so that we can share it with those who are not native English speakers and they can still have access to this education and discover the right side of cannabis. And, and learn how what cannabis all means and stands for. So it's a really like important project to me, near and dear to my heart. I'm excited to get that first copy and share it with my mom. It's been a long journey. I, could, we, I was in stealth mode, not with the world, but with my parents about what I was building. I waited. I waited until we had some outside validation that was actually in the form of a Forbes article because, you know, Asian parents, we love to see mainstream or some recognition in the form. You can show them the entrepreneur. You can show (laughs) them yes, an entrepreneur and they'll like that. Yeah. And I printed out a copy. I also just like Judy had to be in person for it slid that over to my mom and said, Hey, look, what I'm doing is being featured in Forbes. It's not the underground drug world um, that you're envisioning in your head. I'm sure your head is going crazy right now. And she took a look at it, nodded. And I think the first question she asked me is, are you going to be safe? You know, is this going to be okay? After all, after showing her Forbes, after all of this, talking about the legal, how cannabis is legal in California and all of this, she was like, is this safe? Are we going to have, you know, do we have to worry about that? So the stigma is still there, but we're working. The stigma is there, but it's a legitimate, I mean, concern if you don't really know what's happened to cannabis in the last, because there was a time when it wasn't very safe to be involved in. So I understand that where that's coming from. Talk to me a little bit about the generational difference. Like, do you feel like the millennials and the Gen Zs are more open-minded about cannabis than your parents? Definitely. I specifically speak to a millennial and Gen Z audience, and I can already see the difference of Gen Z, especially as they become legal and of age to consume, looking at cannabis as a way to relax instead of alcohol, as a way to treat their mental health and their wellness goals. And the curiosity is already there. We, there's no stigma to overcome with that generation. And I think that's large in part to that open awareness and education that's been seeping through and filtering through their communications growing up. We had a very different experience. I'm a millennial with the D.A.R.E. program and all of that, which made it harder hurdle. And then, of course, our the generation before that only knew about the reefer madness and the illegality and, and the war on drugs, which makes it even more difficult. Judy, is Kazen, does that, I find that younger people are very interested in cannabis beverages as sort of an alternative to, you know, going out and getting rip-roaring drunk. Is that part of your audience, that generation? Absolutely. And that's why we have like a couple of different brands, right? Because we also know that you got to be super focused on being relevant to who your market is. I would say that the S-Shots 100 milligram brand that is geared um, towards the younger audience, um, which happen to also be very heavy inhalable consumers. So that drink product is a complementary product to their current behavior around cannabis. We're not saying, hey, do this instead of that. It's like, look, we know that you know, this is part of your daily life. You guys need the cannabis and you do it and you're functional and better off for it. And so this is just another alternative. You want to give your lungs a break or we know your mouth gets dry when you're smoking. Instead of reaching for water, why not reach for a little bit of S-shots to keep that titration up, right? 
So that's kind of one side of it. And then Matt, Matt Lilly is interesting because we do have two different lines. We have our sleep tonic, which has a CBN. And because it's such a, such a wellness focused product, that tends to kind of span um, across generations because of the need, right? It's a very specific need driven product. And so we are not seeing um, it like lining up to Gen X or boomers or millennials. We do see a nice kind of like broad spectrum with that product. And then our spritzers, which by the way, we're launching in cans and we did that last week. Super excited. It's a five milligram C, five milligram CBD um, and it tastes amazing. And so that um, we are seeing a little bit more towards the millennial, um, a slightly more female audience. And, and in drinks in general, maybe look at all the data that's been coming in, that as a sector is, is attracting a lot more women, which I'm not surprised by. So they, so that one kind of tends um, a little bit more specific by generation and by gender. I can attest to the fact that it's working because I am a mad lily drinker. <laughs> So, and I totally fit the bill. <laughs> so it's working. Dude. You're the target demo. All right. In closing here, I'd love to hear both of your advice to other Asian American Pacific Islanders who may be listening to this, who are considering getting into the cannabis business. What What do you know now that you wish you knew back then? Or what advice do you give to people specifically from that area that would be very useful to them? I would say to find your community within the industry. Find your your support network because the industry is tough, right? And for the most part, it doesn't even really foundationally exist. It's being built now, which means those who are in it, we are building that foundation, which is a lot of work, right? But also very empowering in that we are able to set the trajectory. But through that, on top of entrepreneurship, just in general being difficult and challenging, it's very, very hard in the cannabis industry. So finding those who can lift you up, who can support you, who you can vent with, commiserate with, who you can lean on for solid and incredible advice, right? Because everyone in the industry wants to give you some sort of advice, but how, you know, finding trusted advice, um, I think is very key. I found that among the community of women, among the community of AAPI women in this space. And I'm so grateful for it because we've been in the market for about two years now, and I don't think I would have survived without that support. So as entrepreneurs do, networking, finding your people and being open, listening and open to learn, but also being generous with whatever you know and paying it forward. I think that that's um, really important in this space, especially. And I'm so grateful to have found that. Yeah, Building on that, I would say if you're considering getting into the industry, know your whys. I think you mentioned that earlier, Jonathan, because that's what's going to keep you going and the grit and the resilience that is absolutely needed in this industry. You're you're going to need to get up every morning beyond just a job. You're going to need to get up at this in the morning and and have a higher purpose. Right. And that's what's going to drive you to go to the last, to the extra mile, to run the century runs over and over again. So knowing that that's what you're signing up for and that's that's the purpose in the in the call to action, that's number one. So after you decide, yeah, I'm up for that. And then say, okay, well, where are you going to play in this industry? I, I think you just mentioned that earlier is, you know, where, where's your core competency? Like where is a market gap? Where can you bring your best self and your, and what you know to an area that really could benefit and expand based on what you're going to be creating in the industry. That's number two. And then number three is, yes, find yourself a community of both the audience of your service or product, and then your partnerships, right? That is going to be 
required. This is an industry, unlike others, where competition is your friend because there's not going to be one brand or one company or even three or four that's going to do it alone. It, we're we're going to the rise tide together, right? And embrace those partnerships because that's what it's going to take. So having been in the industry, I can't believe it, Jonathan, my fourth year, going into fourth year here, you know, it's, it's cyclical. And so you've got to be agile and, and resilient and, and the wise, the partnerships is what's going to get you through it. And having a great Jedi council, like Yuna said, like I've got my Jedi council that are formal and informal, and they've been amazing, you know, through those tough times, through those, 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 t- those uh, moments where you're like, okay, I'm not thinking through here, you know, and they're right there with you. And sometimes you need a you need a, a, a rude awakening too. It's like, look, you're not thinking about this right, right? And also, you're staring at this too long. So I think that is going to be very important as you get into this industry. Um, but more importantly, it is fun, and you know, being part of something that is still being created is is amazing. You know, and 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 coming from a CPG background, brand building background, I have never had another experience like this in my 25 years of career. So it's been, it's been great. I can sense your, both of your enthusiasm just in talking to you about it this morning. If people want to find you guys and follow you and find out more about your product, where should they go? Eunice, we'll start with you. Yeah. Our website is www.hivi.life, L-I-F-E. Hivi.life is also our Instagram handle. And if you do want to learn more about the AAPI community, our website for that is AAPI. Icc.com. Easy to remember. And you'll find me there. I'm behind the email. I'm behind the DMs and I'm happy to chat and get to know you. And um, I have two brands. So you can find um, our Madly brand at www.drinkmadly.com. And then our 100 milligram shot brand is um, at shots.com. And also you can find our Instagram handles as well. So really excited to be part of this conversation and look forward to, uh, yeah, to moving the industry forward together. Well, Eunice Kim and Judy Yi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Jonathan. This was such a blast early in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you, I think Jonathan. I need an S shot after this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, head on over to greenentrepreneur.com for the latest cannabis and CBD news, thoughtful essays, tips, and insider tricks on how to succeed in the cannabis business, all that good stuff. And hey, if you like this podcast, do me a huge solid and go to wherever you may listen to your podcast and please rate and review our podcast. It does wonders for the algorithm, helps others find the podcast. Would so appreciate a review and a rating. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.